Welcome to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan, and each episode I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about two very important things. Number one, the stories shared here are often gritty, raw, and vulnerable, and very likely will include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Number two, this podcast is also broadcast live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So on whatever platform you follow myself or Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you have the opportunity to participate in this discussion during the live stream. And we encourage your participation both by commenting and asking questions. And so this podcast is about exploring the stories that take place between the before and after photos, not just in the realm of weight loss, but in all areas of life. So let's dive in. As always, I'm very excited to open the show with a special guest, but what guest isn't special on this show? But I do believe this is the first time I have a former uh, member of a mafia family on my show who brings a legitimate accent from, I'm, I'm saying New York, and I'm, I'm hoping it's not New Jersey and I'm mistaken, but... Uh, South Bronx, John, South Bronx. South Bronx, there we go. Uh, John, I, won't send my, I won't send my family after you, don't worry. <laughs> I, I, w- I would appreciate that. Uh, you know, I kind of like life as I have it right now, so... Um, a little change never hurt, or maybe it would, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You have a really, really remarkable story, and I'm excited to dive into that because it, there's a number of highlights and lowlights that you go through. But uh, first off, before we dive in, um, I'd like to give you a chance to introduce yourself, share kind of what you're doing right now. And I know you've written a book, and you wanted to share a little bit of an excerpt from that book as well. So I want to open the open the mic for you. Okay. My name is John Giordano. You see it on the screen. I'm a recovering addict coming up with 38 years of recovery. I was homeless when I started my journey in recovery. My family was a mafia family, type family. My father was a heroin dealer. My uncle was a hitman. And my other family members did nefarious other things, to put it to you that way. Okay? I said I would never be like them. I wanted to be just like them. I went up dealing drugs, doing collection work for the smugglers, um, Mm. training uh, the bodyguards for cartel in Cartagena, Colombia, doing all kinds of stupid and crazy things. Where I am today is kind of interesting. I'm uh, currently running a ketamine clinic, which helps with depression Mm. and um, anxiety, which is unbelievable. I didn't like it at first, but then I realized my wife has a bipolar disorder, Mm -hmm. and she suffers severely from uh, depression and anxiety. She might try to commit suicide a few times and um, has been on medication for 43 years. She is now off all her medications, and she feels terrific. Um, Mm. I just can't believe the power of this. I'm also a leading expert on Ibogaine, which is another psychedelic that Mm. gets addicts uh, off of um, heroin and alcohol and things like that in 24 hours. You go look up Ibogaine. I work with Dr. Deborah Mash. She's a neuroscientist from the University School of Medicine. And she's also a pioneer in, in, in Ivy Game. I think so, already this like this like opens up a whole uh, whole oh, Pandora's box. A whole, of <laughs> whole bunch. I, of... I'm also currently in 79 medical and scientific peer-reviewed journals. I work with about scientists, researchers, and clinicians from about 15 universities. Mm. Um, I work with Dr. Ken Blum. He's a geneticist who found the addiction gene. There is okay. an addiction gene. It's called the DRD2. 
ALE1 variant gene. Now, if you have that gene, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be an addict. But what it does mean is that you have the propensity to become one. But the right, second yeah. thing is epigenetics, which means the social environment can change the gene expression. Right. So we have so, genetics, which is like our hardware, and then epigenetics, which is like the software. And, and right. our environment can determine whether or not something gets switched on or off to some degree. Well, my son almost died from this. I almost died from this disease, and so did my wife. So my journey has been how to change or improve the recovery rates of addicts and alcoholics and mm-hmm. other behaviors. What Dr. Blum, we call uh, addiction RDS, reward deficiency syndrome. What does that mm-hmm. fancy word mean? It means a lack of dopamine and yeah. serotonin. So, you know, there's different kinds of addiction. There's drug addiction, there's alcohol there's spending addiction, gambling addiction, work addiction, sex addiction, eating disorders. They all fall under that category. They have different symptoms, but they all run down the same road. All roads lead to hell. I put it mm. that. So yeah. that's what I do. And you can go to my website, John, the initial J, Jordano.com, if you want to see some of the research and see some of the television shows and radio shows and all the other stuff I do. But let me get into my story. My story begins where I turned, and I was homeless when I started. I got divorced, and um, I went up living in a room that a friend of mine loaned me. Uh, I had mm. a bicycle somebody loaned me and a jar where I used to put my quarters in when I had quarters. Right, and yeah. I wrote my life story, and it's how I turned $300 into $45 million, legally. Okay. So no, right. I'm going to read a little excerpt how we did it, okay? Let's it's hear called, it. The book is called The Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up. Here is my roadmap for positive change. There is one thing in this world, one special lesson, one constant that has guided me through the turbulent waters of life, this infinite rule, which most people know but ignore or who simply do not follow their life lessons. That is, no matter what, no matter the circumstances, the obstacles, the people that get in our way, or things that slow us down, follow this one simple rule. Never give up on your dreams. Never let go of your passions. And especially, never give up on yourself or God of your understanding. I was blessed to become extremely successful, and I'd like to share my story with you. This is how my life was transformed and how I was saved from falling into the abyss of hell and by following this one rule and learning how to have a life worth living. Mm. So that's that's pretty remarkable there. Sorry? Yeah. Well, that, that's remarkable. That, that's beautiful writing as well. And I think, you know, it comes with weight because of your life experience, because you, you, you've lived exactly what you're talking about. You're not just someone who, who read a book, studied some journals, went to university, got a degree, that kind of thing. This is, you know, you, you hit rock bottom and dug your way out and proved that it's possible. And really, that's what we want to do on this show is we want to highlight amazing stories like this, where we show that it is possible to come back from from extremely difficult lives of despair and brokenness. So, Well, let me give you some brokenness. <laughs> when I'm doing group with addicts and they go, you don't understand my family. 
my family's this, my family's this. I tell you what, I loan your mind for a while. Let me know how you do. <laughs> you watch the Sopranos? I say, no, I lived the Sopranos. Right, so, yeah. Let's get into the story, okay? Story goes yeah. like this. It's real simple. I only went to the ninth grade. Mm. I got my, when I was eight years old, my father got arrested. He was, in a, he was a heroin dealer. And yeah. went to jail. When I was eight so and a half, I got molested by some boys in the neighborhood. Yeah. And it was very confusing for me because part of me liked it. And part of me was full of shame and guilt and horror inside of me. So I was mm. very confused. At nine, I got molested by my babysitter. She was 14. Mm. Again, I got very confused and my life was like a mess. I gained a little weight. Oh, you know, I was a little chubby kid in a way. I guess normal like for kids. And I wound up with an eating disorder. And that wasn't good either. Mm. So... You know, I just kept going on and on and on and on. Uh, when I was, I went to gangs. I was in gangs. I was in all kinds of different things. So I'm kind and of curious. At the age of 12. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of curious. You know, so so growing up the first sort of like eight, ten years of your life, were you aware that your your family was a, a mafia family or uh, a mafia connected well, family? Well, it's not really a mafia family. They ran like that. Let's put it this way. So I'll right. give you a little understanding. My uncle, okay, or one of my relatives, I'll put it that way, mm. threw my wedding when I was 20, all right? And what mm. it's in the book, all this stuff, by the way. And what wound up happening was the caterer insulted him in front of the family. So the next morning, he killed Ooh. him. So meanwhile, wow. the caterer's dead. I got to take my new bride, and we have to go to the airport four hours early because the police are coming to my grandmother's house to go get my uncle. So that was part of that story. So uh, when I was 14 and a half, I, I joined, I got out of the gangs and I joined karate. I okay. became a grandmaster in the martial arts. I'm, I'm in the Black Belt Hall of Fame, national karate champion, uh, a 10th degree black belt in uh, karate. And I'm, I also a black belt judo and a black belt jiu-jitsu, judo champion, all that stuff. Anyway, uh I learned all this. I didn't do any drugs. I didn't drink. I didn't do anything until I was in my 20s. So in my 20s is when I met a girl and we started to, to use drugs. And first drug I did was LSD. Okay. And, and, and what decade is this? Was, I heard it was a mind-altering drug. So yep. what I wind up doing was I'm saying, my neighbor came in with a little vial, clear liquid. I said, well, what? This is 1965, by the way. Okay, said, yeah. He's oh, that's LSD. It's well, let me see. So I opened it up and I drank the whole thing. Well, nope. that was for five hits. That means five people. I was right. on a journey for about four days, day and night. Uh, it was I almost killed the guy that gave me the, the drug because I was in kind of like a psychosis. Right. And yeah. I mean, he looked no like kidding. a frog. And I don't know. I have nothing against frogs, but I said, oh, "You look like a frog. I think I'm going to kill you." Right, so then he said, "Oh, look at that light!" And then he took my mind away, and we continued. Right, yeah. Trip. And then as time went on, I I wind up doing different drugs, going down a bad road. I wind up dealing drugs, collection work for the smugglers, um, all kinds of crazy stuff that we do. And I right. got, you know, I started getting addicted. Um, it didn't happen right away because I was always fighting and training and 
competing. And it was like, you know, on one hand, that was one way. On the other hand, it was the other way. Well, I'm kind of curious. How do you, how do you go from, from using drugs to, to dealing drugs? How, how do we bridge that gap? Well, that's the easiest thing in the world. Well, why pay for drugs when you can sell them and get as, as much as you want and make money from it too? Yeah. Like how, how does, how did you, how did you get involved with that? Like, do you go to your dealer and say, uh, you know, cause wouldn't, wouldn't you be becoming competition for that person or uh, no, how did that happen? No, not at all. Matter of fact, the people that I went to were friends of mine. Okay. And they were doing, you know, 15, 20 kilos a month. Okay. So I wasn't competition. I was only doing two or three kilos a month. Right. So right. I got it from them. See so what so you I went. customer. So, so they're, they're like the wholesaler and then you're, you're the distributor. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So that's that issue. And then anyway, I almost got busted. I, I don't have a felony. I don't have a misdemeanor. I don't have anything, mm. but I got lucky and I almost got arrested, but that didn't happen. It's in the book. Okay. Mm. So as time went on, my family did an intervention on me. Now I told you all my family was. Right. Okay? Yeah. So they're doing an intervention on me. I'm, I'm wondering who's doing an intervention on them. All right. So I go to treatment. Uh, I didn't even understand what was going on. I thought it was all baloney. You know, the guy says to me in group, he says, hey, you know, share your, your, your deepest secrets. Okay. So it set you free. I said, if I set, set myself free, I'll have to kill you. So the guy, <laughs> so the guy looked at me and I said, no, no, no. But anyway, you know, that's how stupid I was. Anyway, I started right, right. to clear up. I started to realize what was going on. How I was hurting myself and my family. I had a spiritual awakening, awakening in the in treatment. I call it that. Um, that's also in the book that explains all of that. I don't want to give all the stuff that's in the book away. Okay? By all means, I think it's a fascinating story. I am, I am curious how um, how your family like like approached the intervention and and you know. You kind of knowing them and and their their dealings and whatnot, like how well, do they I come was to you? Getting and say, a little stupid. I mean, I got I was carrying guns. I was having, I was having a shurikens, the Chinese knives. I was mm. going, I was getting out of hand. Okay, and they said this behavior might bring unwanted attention in our direction as well. Well, no, not so much that. It was that uh, they didn't want me to die. Fair enough. Well, that's nice of them. Yeah. So my mother said she'll never talk to me again. Italian mothers are not like that. I don't think most mothers are not like that. And I said, oh, okay, I'll take a break. And I went and get everybody <laughs> off my back. I didn't go in and get clean. Yeah. And uh, anyway, um, I remember it was Christmas time, and I wanted to go home for a new Christmas Eve. And they wouldn't let me. Well, the really reason I wanted to go home was because my friends used to come and hand me Christmas cards with Coke in it. It wasn't okay. Me and the family. I, I said, oh, I want to see my kids. That was another baloney. Right, so right. Anyway, um, I remember my, I got really pissed off and I never got just angry. I got rageful. Right, okay. And so I, I punched the door. I went in my room. I never unpacked my luggage. I always, you know, ready to leave treatment. Anyway, I remember my therapist saying, John, do you ever get on your knees and pray? So I remember telling him, I said, what is that? A comedy act? I said, I'm a Catholic. I got calluses on my knees. And you mean mm. God don't hear me if I'm in a closet or I'm standing up? So he says, no, how about humility? I said, yeah, okay, right, goodbye. 
but it stuck in my head. And I was in so much pain emotionally. I had no drugs. I didn't have any drugs to medicate myself with. So what I did was I said, I'm going to get down to my knees. But the funny thing happened was I couldn't get down to my knee. I know that might sound like baloney or stupid, but I couldn't. I had to push my knee down. Then I had to push my other knee down. And I think for the first time in my life, I prayed for what God or energy or whatever that is out there wanted, not me, just to relieve me of all this pain. And, man, let me tell you something. The anger, the rage went away like it never was there. Mm, mm. And I said, this is weird. So I tried to get it back. Wouldn't come back. So that was kind of like my awakening and treatment. Right, okay. And, and at this point, and how long have you been in treatment? I was in treatment just three weeks. Okay. I wound up staying for six weeks. I was yep. a little sick of others. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, I had another awakening in there. And around the third week, end of the third week, uh, you go for exiting. Exiting is where you get in front of the whole staff, the doctors, the nurses, the therapists, and they, they give a report on how you're doing. Because mm, okay. after that, they see if you go to long-term treatment or you need extra treatment or whatever. So everybody said, oh, yeah, John's doing great, and he's really opening up and blah, 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 blah. So the head doctor turned around, Dr. Morgan, Mount Sinai Hospital. She looked at me and she said, he's full of crap. crap. <laughs> you know, you can take the, the kid out of the street, but you can't take the street out of the kid. Yeah. So the kid... The street kid jumped up, called her every name in the book, right? Told everybody, listen, I can kill everybody in this room, and you won't even be able to get out of here alive. So they want to talk about talking stupid. Anyway, the doctor said, he said, John, all we want to do is help you. And all of a sudden, I busted out hysterical crying, and I ran out of the room. And that mm. was a real awakening for me. Yeah, and that's quite something. Now, now here, here's um, I, I want to maybe zero in a little bit on on this uh, because I think there's a lot of people who are afraid of like an emotional release, and I think they're afraid because they feel like if if I let if I open the floodgates like this, that it will never stop, and I'll be trapped in that. Well, and and so what was it? You know, you see, breakout in hysterical crying, which I, I I view as like a really powerful emotional release. Like there's a lot of pent up stuff that had to come out, and you know what's really fascinating about tears is actually you'll find hormone metabolites in the tears that you're crying that indicate the emotional state that you're in. Same with laughter and things of that nature. Things change. Uh, absolutely. So how how long did that that last? And you know, while this was taking you know, place, is there a part of your brain wondering like what I learned in treatment? Okay, I was taught never to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of me, course. a big tough karate guy, okay? I mean, I used to teach the the, um, uh, the cartel's bodyguards self-defense in Cartagena, Colombia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here I am crying, and I learned to be vulnerable. And when you become vulnerable, you become powerful. Mm. See, I thought it was the other way around. Not true. And when I you're not afraid of becoming yeah, vulnerable. You can't be vulnerable with this one. They'll use it against you. Eh, give me a break already. Okay? Nobody's using nothing against anybody. You're using it against yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay? Get over yourself. And the bottom line is, is that it'll make you stronger. I mean, I would never tell you I was molested, let alone that maybe I liked it in a way. Right, yeah. You know? 
Or maybe uh, I only went to the ninth grade. I couldn't spell very well either. Right, yeah. So I wouldn't tell anybody this before. So the bottom line is I don't. it doesn't have any power over me anymore. Right, yeah, yeah. I don't allow it. I'm in charge, not that stuff. Mm, yeah. See, and so anyway, uh, I, I wound up, uh, a whole bunch of things happened to me in recovery. Uh, I wind up being uh, divorced and then alone in a, in, a, in a room by myself. My kids used to come. You all used to cry together. Daddy, what are you doing here, you know, alone? And I had no money. I just mm. took karate and made a few dollars. Um, I didn't do collection work anymore. I didn't do drugs, selling drugs anymore. Um, you know, I used to make fifteen thousand a week. No more. So you were you were determined really, to leave that behind you, even though you. I was harder that. to leave than the drugs sometimes. To be honest with you, especially when you're broke, is a joke. Right. Yeah. You know, you have the skills and the tools to go back and get get money. Right. You and know, I but got you... all the phone calls. Oh, Clayton, can you do this? You can do it. I mean, it's like crazy. What so, so time, when when you're faced with that temptation, what because you you need a, a stronger reason to not do it than to do it. What was your reason to not do it? Okay, well let me. I'll, I'll go a little further for you. What ended right. up happening to me? Okay, was I get this call? This guy wanted about two or three kilos of coke. Uh, I said I can't do it. I'm in recovery. I know. I'm sorry. Blah blah blah. John, just introduce me. You don't have to do anything, and I give you the money. So I thought about it and says, okay. So we go to the Colombian's house and we all got their guns all over the place. And there's a kilo of Coke sitting on the table. And I go to taste it, right? I'll put it in a glass to check it out right, with some Clorox. And I said, what am I doing here? I was just in treatment three months ago. So I jump up. Everybody got nervous. They thought I was trying to rip them off. I said, relax. I said, give him the money. I don't care. I got into my car outside, and I began to shake. I was drenched, soaking wet. Mm. And that was the last time I ever even went near anything like that. Yeah. So recovery kicked in. You know, when you see how you hurt your children, when you're, and you're not in the fog, and you see how you hurt your family. You see, addicts, we blame everybody, and we don't look at ourselves. Mm-mm. Yeah. You know? The only Very disempowering. Fix, only thing you can fix is your side of the street. You know, people say, well, they should change. Well, how hard is it for you to change? So change is not the easiest thing in the world, now, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so how can you expect other people to change? Change you and watch mm. what happens. And, yeah. you know, I, I did other podcasts, and one guy asked me, he says, what would you change growing up? I said, absolutely nothing, because everything that happened to me in my life got me to where I am today. Absolutely. So we opened up a treatment center. I raised some money. I got cheated out of my first treatment center. I got cheated out of my second treatment center. Um, the bottom well, line was, is, you know, I'm a street kid, you know, so I, I didn't get a lawyer. What's a lawyer? If you mess with me, I punch you in the face. So, right, right. But I can't do that anymore. So I got screwed twice, plain English. And, right. and I worked for a non-for-profit. And it goes into the book what happened. Um, it was my doctor that messed with me. It was my therapist that messed with me. Mm-hmm. It was my sponsor that messed with me. That she, all of this. And you'll, you'll read about it if you want to read yeah, it. Yeah, there's money in treatment centers, I gather. 
Well, there's also a lot of help too, but unfortunately, okay, now we're going to get that to that little while. Okay, they're like warehouses today. Right. Um, we weren't about money. We were about helping people. Even when we were broke as a joke, we had we couldn't even make payroll sometimes. As somebody we felt really wanted recovery, he gave him treatment anyway. Mm-hmm. We were very well known in the community. Because look, man, we're recovering out. You know what it's like to suffer out there with no money and yeah. you really want help, you know? But the funny yeah. part was the ones that we gave free treatment to, okay, they're the ones that gave us the most problems. Yeah, we had a no surprise there. Treatment. Okay, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> yeah. It, there's something about having skin in the game, some kind of skin in the game that says, like, exactly. yeah, I, I've got something in this. So um, anyway, we started uh, – I started my company with $300. I was the only employee. I had a friend of mine that I worked with in a, um, an indigent recovery place. Mm. Um, I asked him to be my partner. He said, well, let me see your books. I said, what books? <laughs> So I, I, he said, well, how do you know who paid you? I said, ah, they give me the money I put it in my pocket. Don't worry, they'll pay. He said, what are you, crazy? They're addicts. They ain't paying you. So right, he yeah. took over the business part. Then we took over, and then we had his son came in, Gerald. And uh, we knew that the internet was the way to go, but we didn't know how to do it. We got some people, they don't know what they were doing. But my friend's son did. And we went from a 750-square-foot building to a 2,400-square-foot building. Still had bill collectors chasing us, by the way, for about Mm -hmm. three years. Okay? You're on the other side of collections. Right. And then (laughs) we uh, we started to explode. And we were doing good work. But what we were doing was what nobody was doing. We were doing real treatment. And what is that? Right, right. Okay. What that means is this. Look, you can do talk therapy, which works really well. You mm-hmm. can help treat trauma, you know, inner child work. You know, all of this stuff is very important. All right. But and go to meetings, have a support group, very important. You know, people think they go to treatment and they're clean, they're done. No. It took you years to get messed up. It's going to take you time to get well. How much yep. time? I don't know. It's up to you. All right. I'm coming up on 38 years. Believe me, if this was baloney, I wouldn't be doing it this long. So the bottom line is, if you don't believe it, keep doing what you're doing and let me know how your way works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? That's just the way it is. So here's a street kid that didn't believe in anybody, didn't trust anybody, because I wasn't trustworthy and I wasn't believable. Mm. But I learned to change. But yeah. change takes work. No free rides, man. You, know, yeah. you didn't get sick for free. Right, cost you everything you had, even your soul. Yeah, so forget about the money part. So, what so, we did, what I decided to do since my son almost died, and I said, You know, something we got to do something different. There's only a five to eight percent recovery rate, right? So this this isn't looking, enough. I start looking at the different science. We did a hyper, uh, hyperbaric medicine that's oxygen okay. under pressure, yeah. Uh, Oxygen under pressure was used for the bends, okay? That's when divers go down into the ocean and they come up, all right? They have to get their body rebalanced, all right? Or they have the bends and they could die. Then they found out that HBOT helps with wounds. Then we found out that it helps with TBI cases, traumatic brain injury cases. 
Now, who is going to argue with me that drugs and alcohol do not damage the brain? Mm. Nobody I know. Mm. Right. And HBOT actually helps heal the brain. Mm. So that's Just... number one. Then we did amino acid therapy and vitamin therapy. We did 15 papers on amino acid compound that Dr. Blum developed. And we saw with a double-blind study, that's the gold standard, by the way, in mm -hmm. research, that it upregulates dopamine. Oh, that's your feel-good drug. So we utilized that to help the clients. Then we did acupuncture. It's only been around 5,000 years. Okay. Right, right, yeah. We did uh, heavy metal testing because heavy metals interfere with neurotransmission. We found 85% mm -hmm. of the addicts had heavy metals. And it mimics attention deficit disorder and bipolar disorder. Fascinating. Also, what we did is we worked with the gut, the second brain. Most mm. people don't know that serotonin and dopamine is manufactured in your microbiome. That's your mm -hmm. gut. That's the flora inside your stomach, if you don't understand that. Okay? That's where 70 to 90% of dopamine and serotonin are manufactured. It goes up the vagus nerve and deposits it into your brain. Yeah. But please, don't believe a word I tell you. Go look it up. Because I tell yeah. that to everybody, okay? Because nobody believes you anyway. So go do your own research, guys. And also, we did neurofeedback, biofeedback. Okay. We also looked at allergies. Certain allergies can cause depression. People don't even realize that, all right? We help people put them on different kinds of food plans without the processed mm. food and the sugars and all this other garbage, all right? And uh, look, I'm 76 years old, okay? I don't take any medications. I do like 40 laps in the pool. I still fight. Uh, I work out with weights. I'm in better shape than 30-year-olds. Why? Because I work out. Because you take care, you take care of yourself, and and so so listening to all of these, which which sound phenomenal, by the way, and I think is absolutely fantastic, um, makes me wonder, you know, why aren't more places doing this? I'm going to tell you why. It's real simple. M O N E Y. They don't get money for it, but you see, I figured out how to do that. Mm -hmm. I made it real simple. When a client came in, we gave, and we have colonics. We used to do also massage, lymphatic massage. They get the drugs out of the body on a cellular level. Uh, we gave them four free sessions of anything they wanted to pick. Okay. Addicts are feel-good junkies. If they feel good, they'll buy it. Right, okay. So we would charge them after that at a reasonable rate. Yep. And that's how we, you know, we, we thought we were going to break even. We ended up making money with it. But it had another end to it. And what was that? We used it as a marketing tool. Okay. Then we did outcome studies, but we didn't do our own. We had a third party do our outcome studies. Okay. So nobody could say, well, they tweaked the numbers. We had a 70% recovery rate after a year, which is absurd. Right. Okay. And how do we do it? So I'll make it real simple. I don't know if you realize how they do uh, outcome studies. It's kind of stupid. I'm going to tell you how it's real simple. All right. Let's hear it. Okay. Hello, John. Um, did you do drugs today? How you doing, man? Oh, yeah, man. I'm doing great. Oh, okay, thanks, John. Oh, he didn't do drugs. He's good. <laughs> right, so right. Okay. So what we did was 
my doctor, Dr. Blum got together with a guy from MIT, a group of scientists. They were doing a, a, a study, okay, on voice recognition, how they could tell if people are lying through their tonality, mm -hmm. their reflections in their voice, and things like that. So that was one of the ways we put it into it when we spoke on the phone, but only to the attic, but to their family members. Then okay. most of the people were in town. So what we did was we um, licensed a uh, three-quarter way house, which is where people go after treatment. Um, you know, they have to get a job. They have to go to meetings. They have to be clean and drop urines. So we made them drop urines. We made sure that mm. they were clean there. Then we asked them for how their behavior was compared to everybody else. And then we got the information back. They went to group once a week, which is called yep. aftercare. All right? We dropped urines on them again. We eyeballed them to see what's going on with them. And that's how we did our outcome studies. Right. So you, you verified through scientific means. That's and right. you mentioned a three-quarter house because I've heard of a halfway house before. Um, is, is there a one? They make names up. This I was is like, is there, is there a one-quarter house? Yeah. I'll tell you what the difference is, okay? Okay. Halfway house used to be that you're halfway out of treatment and you go to so many hours of treatment. Mm, okay. Three-quarter way house is you're three-quarters way out and you go to once-a-week treatment. Yeah. That's the old way of doing it. Now they call it sober living. Three quarters. They don't know what they name it. They just name it whatever they feel like. Sure, sure, yeah. So what, so what I came across lately, now we sold in 2012. Yeah. Now, if you would have told me that we had a 62-bed inpatient facility, we had intensive outpatient, we had outpatient, and we had aftercare. So we had a total continuum of care. We wound up selling it for $45 million in 2012. And we didn't mm. want to sell, but my partner got cancer. He got sick. He had a stroke. And his mm. son didn't want to do it anymore. And I said, okay. You know, and we had this guy, uh, one guy wanted to give us $21 because we were, our, our payroll every two weeks was a quarter of a million dollars. Right, right. So, and were you, so were you aware of like, I guess it sounds like a, maybe a naive question, but were you aware of the value of your business that you you were sitting on, like a $45 million? Well, you business? have to do an evaluation, you know, when okay. you do that stuff. But actually we were so wrapped up into helping people with finding new technologies to make treatment better that, you know, in doing outcome studies that we were doing research. Uh, and remember now, this is 2022, this was 2012. And eight years before that, we were doing all this stuff. Okay, yeah. We, we were so far ahead of the curve. It's like unbelievable. And everybody knows us in the communities around in Florida. So yeah. whatever I'm saying, people will back it up without a doubt. Um. Then, now that I'm, uh, I've been out of there, I do these podcasts. I lecture all over the world. I've lectured to yeah. over 100 countries. Uh, I've been cool. to Taipei. I've been to Budapest. I've been to Chicago, Baltimore, uh, all these international conferences. And I wrote another book called How to Beat Your Addictions and Live a Quality Life. And the mm. way I wrote that book was I interviewed about 200 about 200 addicts, alcoholics, and people that had other behaviors. I want to know what they did and what they didn't do. Mm. Who I considered had good recovery. It's not just about quitting drugs and alcohol or those behaviors. Then I interviewed about 100, 150 
<coughs> people that kept on relapsing. I want to know what they did and what they didn't do. And I put all that stuff in the book and I put my right. own stuff in the book. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's, that's important to know both sides of it. Like success leaves clues and so does struggle. So well, then I found these new technologies. I found something that gets rid of pain in one session. Okay. Without any drugs. It's called the Atlas. Are you familiar with the Atlas? Probably not. Probably not. I wasn't either. Okay. The Atlas is the bone that's floating on top of your vertebrae that holds up your head. That's okay. why they call it the Atlas. Okay. Now, what goes through the Atlas is your inner carotid artery, which bypasses into your carotid, uh, into your uh, optic nerve, and it's the blood flow that goes into your brain. Okay. Right. Okay. On the other side of the Atlas is the nerves that run down from your brain stem all the way through your spinal cord into your major organs and also your outer carotid artery. It takes the toxins out of your brain. Okay. In my case, okay, I had stenosis in my back. Being a judo player and a karate guy, I had two frozen discs. I had pain everywhere. I was getting shots. I was getting oblation where they burned the nerves, everything. None of it worked. And this thing worked unbelievable. It's been eight months now. No pain. Okay. So what they do is they go send you for an x-ray. They they look at the x-ray. Then they make calculations. They lay you on the table. Now, one leg was shorter than the other, okay, because that happens when your muscles get tight, you know, from pain. Anyway, lays you on this table, and they have this machine, and they, they do a calculation, okay, in the machine. They have this bar that goes right by your neck, and it shoots a pulse into your neck. You don't even feel it. All right? And then he tells my wife, he says, John, have your wife come around the table. She looks at my feet. They're even. I get off the table. I don't limp anymore, and I don't have any pain. I said, what is this? This is crazy. I sent 15 people there, and all the same thing. And my friends are going, John, what the hell is this? I said, look, this frequency that they do, the way they angle it, hits that that, uh, that uh, bone, okay, and puts it back in its predisposition. See, when it's out of position, mm. this is what happens to your spinal cord. Right, wow. right. So that's how you get a bulging disc, okay? See, your disc is meant to go this way, up and down, not this way, sideways. Yeah, and so, uh, again, the name of this treatment is, because it's ta- dealing with the atlas. Go to Epic Clinics dot com it's in clearwater and matter of fact i'm a partner with uh, a new doctor that's doing the same thing from the same people and it's going to be in pompano right next to my ketamine clinic that i opened up and what we do is we do nutrient ivs we do nad we do exosomes we do wellness we help people on food plans uh i mean you need to be healthy Otherwise, Absolutely. It's all kinds of diseases. Well, I, I think this is this is phenomenal work that you're doing um, and a fascinating backstory. And, and I agree with you. I, I wouldn't change any of it because it's led you to what you're doing um, to this day. And, and I really commend you for the amazing work that you're doing. And I, I, and I love what I do. And, and the clinic is called the Ketamine Infusion Clinic of South Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girls are great. They're the anesthesiologists, all the nurses, the doctor. Everybody is unbelievable. They're all caring. 
It's not just about money. Some of these other places throw you out ketamine and then leave. You need coaching. You need therapy. Yeah, you need, you need, you need, you need to actually you need a team, you know, as well. Well, John, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing your story. There's so many fascinating elements. And, you know, I, I think anybody who is listening, uh, you'll, you'll get great delight out of reading your books, both of your books, because both have uh, fascinating elements to them. And obviously there's details we couldn't cover today, but that's all the more reason to, uh, to have a read of the book of the, the kid from South Bronx who wouldn't give up. So, you know, just as we close out, um, I'd, I'd like to ask, I ask this to every guest, if, if people could take away one nugget of wisdom from listening to this conversation, what would you like people to take away from today? Simple. Never give up. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. John, thank you so much for being a part of the, the show today. It's been it's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having this show, helping God's kids. Thank you so much for tuning in to Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, or leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after the powerful experiences that shape who we become. And I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you. Because if you're still here, your story's not done yet, so keep moving forward. Anyone can come from any place of brokenness and destitution and build an amazing life.